0: Hi, all, this is Steve jumping in briefly before our episode starts. This episode about global public health includes discussions about heavy subjects, including police brutality and sexual assault. If you need support, call 211 for mental health assistance. Hello, everyone. Welcome back from the front row, brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. My name is Oge Chibong, and if this is your first time with us, welcome for a student-run podcast that talks about major issues in public health and how they are relevant to anyone, both it, in and out of the field of public health. Today, I'm joined by my co hosts Megan. So Megan is new to the team, so this is a huge welcome to the From the Front Row family. We also we also have a guest joining us today, Tolu Wani, who is a PhD student from Nigeria at the Community and Video Bureau Health Department at the university. Hi, Tolu. Hi, Oge. Thanks for having me. No problem Thanks for coming on today. So what are we doing today, Megan?
1: Well, today we have a very special episode we are going to host a global series on the podcast soon and to give a head start we decided to use our platform to talk about several human rights violations around the globe and how they kind of tie into public health as a means of creating awareness. So earlier this summer. We spoke about the Black Lives Matter movement and how racism is a social determinant of health. And now we're here to shine a light on other movements or lack thereof, and how that's also relevant to public health and to all of us, regardless of location.
0: We have, we're going to have three um, sections of this conversation today. And how it's going to go is that we already picked a continent, and by we, I mean, me and Megan. So and then we have like a country or two that we would like to speak about. So here we're just trying to present mostly facts of what we know. But you know, there might be a few speculations that are going around, which we would say are speculations. For the first section, in the first question, what continent did you choose? And what is happening in the country or countries of focus?
1: Okay, so I kind of, Uh, had the Asian continent in mind but I chose China specifically just because of the protests that have been going on um, for like about the past year and a half and all the protests in Hong Kong and stuff like that Mm -hmm. Um, and I just felt like China is a very central player in that region and like a lot of what happens there affects other Asian countries.
0: So you said there are protests right happening in China right now so what's are the protests about, or what is the basis of the protest?
1: So basically, this is a little bit of an older situation, but still very pertinent to kind of like what we wanted to talk about today. But it's actually started in June of last year. And the reason that they started protesting was because the Chinese government was trying to create a bill that would have allowed extradition of fugitives to mainland China. And people who live in Hong Kong didn't want that to happen because they are... Kind of under like one country but two systems, like governance. Basically, yeah, Hong Kongers wanted to not have that bill passed because they didn't want people from Hong Kong to be thrown into the legal system of China. And that was how it all
0: started. So for me, I chose my own home continent, Africa. So I'm African, I'm from Africa. So Africa is the world's second largest and second most populous continent next to Asia so it has a total of about like 1.2 billion people and living in 54 countries so right now in Africa there are multiple movements trending and by trending I mean like you know if you go on Twitter or anywhere honestly on CNN news are carrying all these movements so these are things that have actually been going on but to name a few so we have like the rape national emergency that is currently going on in Liberia and Namibia. The My Next movement against sexual exploitation and domestic abuse in South Africa. We have the child and human trafficking in Ivory Coast, South Africa, Ghana. We have MSARS in Nigeria. We have the Anglophone crisis, which highlights the Cameroonian civil war. So the civil war is currently going on in Cameroon. So all these things, and it's like, a, a lot of things going on at the same time i would like to focus more like just talk a bit more about the SARS movement which is also why i have Tolu here with me because i'm from nigeria she from nigeria and i just kind of wanted uh you know a different perspective kind of of what i have to just kind of like shine a light on what's going on and then i also want to talk about the congo is bleeding. And that's currently happening in the Democratic Republic of Congo. So, just to start, I will start with the NSARS. So, Nigeria, located in the West, in West Africa, has a total of 200 million citizens. It's honestly the most populous country in Africa. What NSARS is, SARS is, stands for a special anti robbery squad, which was put in place in 1992 to oversee crimes of theft in Nigeria. So before SARS, it just used to be, um, so overseen theft used to be the responsibility of the police, but then they, you know, created a special unit from the police. And honestly, since then, they kind of like
2: went rogue. So, you know, like O'Gate saying, SARS, mm-hmm. which is the special anti-robics squad was made in 1992, around that time. And over the years, it's been a consistent struggle to get this um, agency to actually implement the, po- the policies and implement the The organization was created to fight against kidnappings, carjackings, and robberies in Nigeria, which is obviously a good cause. But what we saw over time was um, erosion in the original uh, cause of this organization, whereas the police themselves, be- began to implement violence and perpetuate all these killings. And basically we can call it police brutality. And so what happened just the most recent answers with the most recent answers movement was, was instigated by a video that was shared online and went viral. The death of a young man, eventual death of a young man that was manhandled by the members of this special uh, agency, the SARS, and so that led a lot of Nigerian youths. Meanwhile, up to half of the Nigerian population is 19, around 19, the median age is 19 years, right? So a lot of youths, and SARS targets youth 18 to 25 years. They target it, especially males. That's what data has, but they also target male, female, blah, 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 but the predominant population is youth 18 to 25 years. So you see a lot of youths going out, saying, we can't have this anymore. We're tired of it. So SARS became this movement that evolved from just fighting against this special um, anti-robics squad to just Nigerians thinking about the social inequities in place, right? And understanding that this generation, we want change.
0: Yeah, so um, let me just talk more. So the thing about the whole M-SARS movement is it's not a new movement. Just like how even BLM isn't something that's new. It has been going on for years. And, you know, the government in Nigeria has been disbanding SARS since 2017. Every single year, you get, you know, a report that, yeah, this um, sector is being, you know, it's out, we've disbanded, it's it gone. But then, you know, they keep on coming back. And even right now, 2020, so, you know, some speculations of people actually living in Nigeria is that we still see these people, so you know a lot of youths as Tolu said are being marginalized, so if you have an iPhone and I, I, I teach, so I'm a TA and I was trying to tell my students, young adults, so all of us here the same age, you have an iPhone you have tattoos, you drive a car, you have dreadlocks, you have piercings, you know, things that young adults do. And then you're being um, pinpointed as, oh, you're into thievery because you look like a thief, <laughs> You know, so okay. I don't even know honestly what to call it because there isn't any really logical explanation. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so what's going on? And in Nigeria currently, there was protests that was going on for like about two weeks up until like the 21st of October. So on the 20th of October, we had the Lekhi massacre, which has been going around. So they say it's a speculation, although, you know, otherwise we have seen something different. And what we saw was, you know, like, people who dressed up in, like, an army, Italian, or what, who shot into a crowd of protesters. That was honestly a really dark day to be Nigeria, especially living in Nigeria, and a lot of, like, you know, anxiety. But we'll talk about that more when we go into the public health impacts of that movement. So then the next thing I want to talk about is DRC. So Congo is located in Central Africa, and its capital is Kinshasa. So it has a total of 90 million citizens. It's the second largest country by size, like by area, and is the fourth most populous country in Africa. So Congo is notably known for its natural resources. So it has gold, copper, diamonds, coal tan, And coltan, especially, is used in the production of smartphones and laptops. So our iPhone, Samsung, all those things, they have Coltan, and due to this, and honestly, many other things, they've been a silent genocide that has been occurring in Congo over the years, because I thought, I just literally heard about the silent genocide, like, recently, with all the whole movements in Africa going on, but I did more research, and I realized, oh, this is something that's been going on, and up to now, it's like, more than 6 million deaths. And a lot of the bulk of those deaths are children who are also being exploited to, you know, dig out all these natural resources that are being sold or being traded to, you know, developed countries and things like that. So recently Congolese Congolese women, you know, have been leading marches of thousands of people to protect against un sexual assault crimes, conflict, War crimes, all those things that have, you know, kind of like Arised as a consequence of, you know, wanting to exploit the natural resources in Congo. So alongside this, there's the pandemic that has been happening. We're all in the pandemic right now. And Congo is currently battling their 11th, 11th Ebola outbreak. So yeah, which honestly, they had like the tenth one that they had last year, August of 2018, was one of the largest. So you can imagine, there's just a lot of things that are going on at the same time. And people who live there are currently very, very vulnerable because they are being exploited. Since we have presented all these issues at hand, as we said, we're talking about in continents Asia, Africa right now, it's how is this related to public health? Why should we care? Why should we care? Why should other people care? Why should we even pay attention to all these things happening?
2: One of the biggest things we look at in public health is determinants, right? The social determinants of health. And we know it's been established that social inequities play a significant role in people's health. the the environment in which you grow people are not safe people don't feel safe people don't feel like they have equal opportunities and this is so important not only do they feel like that it actually is so that you can get brutalized by the police for an unjust cause for instance in the Nigerian situation in Congo you know in Namibia people get raped people don't feel safe and these things really impact on their health, you see that people, first of all, we have to talk about the mental health. I know that after the uh, NSERS movement, a lot of mental health crises, just like Nigerians not understanding why there was a massacre, especially with the massacre that occurred on the 20th. So you have to look at those like mental health variables, or should I say constructs, or how would you define like those mental health, the, the, the important things that you have to look at, like how do people deal with um, trauma. How do people move past trauma? And how does that determine, for instance, kids exposed to trauma, adults exposed to trauma? How does that affect your health, your cardiovascular health, your fight uh, fight or flight response? You know, just those things that you look at. So, yes, it's definitely important for public health because even within that system, we don't have we already have <laughs> pre-existing conditions. Right. We already have pre-existing weakened infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um And now dealing with this, in addition to all those things, the social inequities uh, definitely impact on people's health.
0: Megan, do you want to go next?
2: My situation is definitely not the same,
1: um, but a lot of what they're seeing in Hong Kong with the protests is police violence. And that's a lot of um, the reasons, you know, why it's made the news is because they have had a lot of protests going on there. And I kind of was looking up some statistics, which are only from, from like June to December of last year, but they had over 6,000 people arrested and they had 2,600 hospitalized. And they also used, according to CNN, 16,000 rounds of tear gas, which I think that's, it's a lot (laughs) for people. One, that's not great for you, regardless. Mm -hmm. Two, I think it does go back kind of to what you were saying, Tolawani, about Social determinants of health, but additionally, like it is, it is bad for your mental health to not feel like you can trust your government. And I don't think that that is something that's specific to Hong Kong or just to China right now. I think that that's something that we've seen a lot in the past year mm-hmm. or a couple of years around the world. I think that's why that, to me, relates to public health.
0: I honestly believe we do need to have you know a series on this podcast highlighting how police brutality is a public health issue on so many levels and how, you know, there are millions of people who face this, like, if you have signs of police brutality in the United States, honestly, where else won't you have it? Because, you know, obviously the state is held at this very high standard. A lot of people, a lot of countries look up to the United States for direction, for leadership, Yeah, it's it's just something that keeps on going on. So totally, yes, thank you for talking about mental health impact, which I think I really love where we are at right now as, you know, as a society or population kind of, where we're bringing more focus into what mental health is, the impact of mental health and even talking about the genocide in Congo. So then, you know, you have like a variety of outcomes. You can have depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, PTSD. And then, you, you know, you have children and you're bringing them into that stressful environment. It's not even talking about, you know, the chronic diseases or, you know, things that will go on from having such a shut down immune system. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, decreased quality of life. So then you talk about life expectancy, like in Congo, life expectancy is 48 years for men and 52 for women that is so you know and then if you compare it to the U.S. where you have like a 76 years life expectancy for men and then 81 for women so that's a lot of years that's like half yeah and then most of these and most of um, these places in Africa so you now have like the top causes of death being infectious diseases actually so respiratory infection, diarrheal diseases, uh, malaria, things like that, that are totally avoidable. And then talking about, you know, why other countries should be invested. And I think the biggest part, um, part of that would be looking at trading. So like, you know, every, you know, the way the world is built up is that, so we have what we call, you know, social systems and, the U.S. in its own is its own social system, Mexico's own social system, and all those things, Nigeria, everywhere. But then, how do we interact to each other? Depends on our dynamic. So even when you start to maybe even talk about global warming and all those things, if one country has a lot of instability and they're not able to, you know, trade with a different country, you either don't get what you need which then directly impacts the people who live in those communities. So imagine not being able to, let's say, imagine not being able to trade, like actively, like fairly trade coltan between Congo and the United States, or between maybe Congo and China. We're not going to have our phones. We're not going to have the technologies that we need. And then those kind of things then probably even lead to inflation. And then when you now start to talk about inflation, everyone gets directly impacted because the economy is going to go into this di- downward spiral of poverty, people not being able to afford, you know, food, basic healthcare, education. So, yeah, honestly, because, you know, most times I kind of think I would never really say, or oh, it's the duty of a different office of a country of another country to fix a different country like, oh, the United States is, you know, has the one of the largest economies, so they need to fix every other country. I think that's unreasonable because every other country needs accountability, both for like, you know, their governance. Most of the problem that we see in Africa is as a consequence of bad governance. So, and which is a fact. Anywhere you go, you see that. So now it's kind of like, how are the resources that we have? How is it being used? What are you doing? Do you have that um rapport of like trust and support between your citizens and the leaders do we trust you to actually lead us in the right direction do we trust you to take us out of a recession to make sure that the poverty level in this country is lowered because if we're even thinking back in the day like in the early 1900s there was a time where a dollar was equivalent to a naira i feel
2: like it was a very very brief period it was Stronger than the dollar, relative to the pound. And then it's like, how did we go from that?
0: The NARA is being decreased or being deprecated in value over and over.
2: I always love to remind people of the role of colonialism in a lot of these factors and how a lot of our systems have been used and used and reused and used again Mm -hmm. for the gain of the Western world. Mm -hmm. And... We now have, you know, a legacy that was handed down. It's a lot of it ties back to colonialism. So I don't want us to forget that. Yes, there was that time, mm-hmm. but then we inherited a system where minorities ruled over the majority, and it was a divide and conquer type system that continued over and over again, and it's still continuing now with the minorities ruling over the majority. It's just a lot. So it's not very simple, it's not a simplistic approach and we never we can never forget the role of colonialism um, if you compare
0: that to you know adverse childhood experiences or things like that so you mm-hmm. know how it's like it wasn't your fault that something happened but now it's your responsibility which we do across the board so not just even transcends personal issues to now countries where if you know you know like you are aware that all these things happen but now everyone is calling for the people who now have decided, okay, yes, we can lead you to the right direction. Mm-hmm. All right, of whatever is happening right now, and at least lead us to somewhere that, you know, we can decide, okay, this is a start. This is a level, at least that we know at an actual level and not just like speculating, are we on the ground or are we in the air or mm-hmm. what's happening? So, you know, we you have this whole state of confusion where nobody
2: knows what's happening honestly yeah yes. i mean nigeria definitely uh, uh those uh countries in africa definitely do frustrate me a lot because your question is where do we st- actually start from we have governing systems that you know we know we know the weaknesses of the systems we know the level of corruption that exists we know we know what's going on but the, where do we actually start from there's no um, there there, are no checks and balances, you know, you can t- totally shoot into a, a crowd of peaceful protesters and get away with it <laughs> as far as far as things are right now, hopefully that changes soon and something is done about it. But you can, you, you know, it's really frustrating. I, I think you can agree with me that it's super frustrating, but I feel like the youth are, they're yeah. taking it upon themselves to to, 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 to create a change. Yes. It's not our
0: responsibility, but we've taken it as our responsibility because we're being directly impacted.
1: So what is being done to tackle the issue? And if there isn't anything being done, what could be? And then if you could predict how might life look if the issues at hand are solved
2: and what if they aren't? If you could predict how might life look like if the issues are solved. I mean that would be the ideal world (laughs) isn't that a utopia (laughs) where things are perfect and I mean that's what we are hoping for now being realistic first of all let me start with what is being done to tackle the issues so Nigerians created a five for five, which is the five demands they had, one of which was disband the SARS, which the government has disbanded SARS five times now, you know, so we need systemic reforms, definitely systemic reforms, a lot of systemic reforms, a rehaul of the governance system in Nigeria, we need to step up, it's enough. We need to step up, take responsibility. We are losing our experts. Look at us. Look at Oge and I, very intelligent young women, Nigerians here in the United States. We don't, we should not be here. We should be back home. But because there's no space for us, we are here in the U.S. trying to make a living for ourselves and trying to make a future for ourselves. We need spaces where we can thrive. And I think that we are not giving up though, because we are here, but we are still making doing the fight. We're still fighting, right? We're still fighting and we're supporting. And that's like the role of the diaspora. I feel like we, there are so many intelligent diasporans here in the United States from all over, from countries that have not extended that opportunity to them, to those citizens from those countries, right? And they're so intelligent, doing great things in this country but I feel like we still have a role to play and we must never forget where we came from.
0: Thank you. Yeah, and with our, as Tolu said, the five for five demands. So yeah, part of that was looking for, you know, justice and accountability for all the things of police. release really, so of all the arrested protesters. cause a lot of protest. You know, the thing about protest is that with every protest, um, which is what I think every government or every country is scared about with protests is that riots always emanate from protests. And it doesn't mean that it's the protesters who are rioting, but people whose who sole goal is to, you know, riot and loot. We always come, you know, always use protests as, you know, that shield to kind of do what they want. So the whole point is to make sure that you listen to your citizens and give them what they need to you know, avoid having a protest in the first place. So there's no need for a protest. And if there is a protest, trying to figure out why there's a protest and how we can solve it so it doesn't you know, have an outbreak of a riot. Nigeria needs a new, whole new policy reform, which there are, you know, kind of like articles talking about, about that because the population is growing faster than the economy, which isn't stable at all. And then, due to political instability in Nigeria, you know, investors might be hesitant to invest in our country. And if you don't have investors trying to, willing to invest, you're going to have a high rate of unemployment because there are just no job opportunities, which is what we're seeing. You're going to have poor education system, a high brain drain, as Tolos talked about. You have a lot of people leaving. And as she said, and I always try to like remind my students, is that if your home is in the best condition, the only reason you're going to leave is for vacation. I'm not going to leave my home to go live in a totally different place, like unwillingly. Like most times when we talk about refugees, so, you know, you talk refugees, are asylum seekers, they left, they, had, they were forced to leave their country. And, you know, which also makes me really sad that when you have hear all these conversations of, you know, people looking down at refugees or immigrants or not wanting them to come in, it's like, they have to. And if you don't want them to come in, help them solve their problems so they don't have to come in in the first place, you know. And then, like in Congo, so they have, they're really trying to, you know, talk to the United Nations to recognize the genocide that's been going on and to repair the damages that already exist. And with that, the United Nations already has been helping, so in April of 2018, they held like a donor conference and they raised about $1.7 billion to provide food, shelter, and medical attention to the Congolese people. And the next thing you kind of ask is, where did that $1.7 billion really go? Because most times you will hear, you know, with COVID even stats in, even in Nigeria, there was money being donated. Money came in. But where did the money go? That's the question we all ask because we don't know. I can't say. I don't know where the money went, but oh. there's money somewhere.
2: The pandemic aid or whatever, like just like what was supposed to palliative care for the pandemic, people were finding the warehouses and looting the warehouses for the palliative care that should have been sent out when people were under lockdown. Because it's for so the people, but they were being locked up. Right, exactly. So. Yeah, those are the things we struggle with. But I I wanted to say this at the start. Today in Cameroon is the national day of mourning for um, the, you know, the girls, the kids that were killed. So I think it's quite ideal that we had this today Mm -hmm. to talk about these issues.
0: Megan, do you have anything? So sorry that I went off on a tangent. Also, sorry to our listeners. I get really passionate.
1: (laughs) No, honestly, I really appreciated that you had brought this up because when you're talking about NSARS in the group me, I was like, oh, I should really look that up. I don't want, I feel like I'm not aware enough of global news and stuff like that. And I feel like when I looked into it, I was like, how do I not, you know, it's just, it's crazy to me how many things happen, like how many genocides, how many, how much police brutality happens that like, it's really easy in America where I have a roof over my head and I can order in food, you know, like it's easy to just be really ignorant and So no, I definitely appreciate, obviously I don't know anything about this topic. So I appreciate listening in to you guys talk about it.
2: Um, I would just say, um, I would like to say this, like injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, right? So we cannot be complacent in the face of injustice. So we always have to use our voices regardless of where this is going on, whether it be the protests in Indonesia, China, wherever. I feel like that's something that I was like became a lot more aware of this year, just with Black Lives
1: Matter and stuff like that. And like a lot of my friends are like, You aren't Black, so you need to talk too. Like you need to be a voice for us. And I was like, That's good. Like it's good, you know? It's good, I think, for people to be like, We need help. It can't just be us, you know. I felt like that's obviously something that I'm still learning about, but I felt like this year was, yeah, really important.
0: Did anyone have anything else?
1: Yeah. So Basically, what happened with the protests in Hong Kong is that they did. They ended up having a list of five demands, and they're not all. This is a really brief overview, but the first demand was that they wanted to with. They wanted the government to withdraw that extradition bill, and so eventually, that actually did happen. So that was one of the things that resulted from the protest, which I think is cool because I feel like recently in, in America with the protests that we've been seeing, I've been hearing a lot of people saying that protesting doesn't matter. And I think it does, um, especially when the majority of it is peaceful. Additionally, this is not as uh, hopeful of news, but Beijing or has passed a national security law um, in response to the protests, I believe, that kind of like makes any acts of sedition illegal. And a lot of people in Hong Kong have ended up fleeing to Taiwan just because they really feel like this is Kind of the nail in the coffin that is destroying Hong Kong's autonomy. I didn't really mention this earlier, but just kind of as like an overview or uh, going back to the one country, two systems thing. Basically, Hong Kong was a British colony up until or 1997, and then they handed Hong Kong over to become a part of China. But Hong Kong you know, was a lot different than China. They were maybe, you know, had a lot more independence. Their views were different because they were a British colony versus being like a part of China, part of that culture immediately. So when they were handed over, they had uh, signed a bill that basically said that for at least 50 years, they would have their own autonomy. And so that's why we see a lot of like the separation in governments between Hong Kong and China, And so they were guaranteed supposed supposedly they were guaranteed to have their own autonomy until at least 2047. But a lot of people feel like this this bill and like these protests and stuff are the end of kind of the end of that for them.
0: And how long did you think the protests have been going on again?
1: So they started in June of last year. And there were thousands from June to December, or there were at least over a thousand, I should say. And then I know that they did continue through May. So I looked into it and obviously it doesn't make the news as much anymore because I'm sure some of the protesting has died down. But I, I would speculate that people are still protesting, just as people are still protesting Black Lives Matter and it just doesn't make the news every night. So
2: mm-hmm. that
1: would be my
0: guess.
2: Thank you so much. Um, yeah, Megan, thanks for sharing that. That's very um, informative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you guys.
0: I hope that everyone was enlightened by the conversation and really all developed an interest in global studies. And if you'd like to know more, you can find us on Facebook
1: at the University of Iowa College of Public Health. And we're also on iTunes and Spotify as the University of Iowa College of Public Health. You can go ahead and let us know what you thought about this episode. And if you have any thoughts about the series, we have an email which is cph dash grad ambassador at uiowa.edu, and it is cph-gradambassador at uiowa.edu.
0: This episode of From the Front Row was hosted by Oge Chibol and Megan posh This episode was written by Oge Chibol. It was edited and produced by Steve Samier. Thank you to our guest, Toluwani Adekule, for coming on the pod this week. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. See you next week. Happy social distancing. Stay safe and continue to have that uncomfortable conversation.